This is the sermon series that I would like to begin called, I Am Seven Powerful Claims of Jesus. And today, I would like to look at, I Am the Bread of Life, and it comes from John chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, you want to be in John chapter 6 today because we are going to look at several verses in that, and they will not all be on the screen, so you'll want to do that so you can see it for yourself. Matt introduced just a couple of months ago the I Am theme in his series on Moses face-to-face. And this is where Moses meets God face-to-face in a personal way. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is asked by a burning bush to go help God deliver his people out of Egypt. And if you don't know that story, in Egypt... The Israelite people were slaves. They were under bondage. They were being mistreated. And God had asked Moses to help be a part of that deliverance. And Moses asked this question, if I go to Pharaoh and say, set my people free, who am I going to say said that was to send me? And God told Moses, I am who I am. I am has sent you. Who is the I am? And just a little recap, and you can go back and hear Matt's message by, on that. But the I am is the self-existent one, the God that is eternal, the God that is unchanging, the God who is infinite and glorious in every way, above and beyond all things created. He is transcendent. He's independent. He's all-sufficient in himself. He does not need anything, and he is the only source of all existence and all of life. And Matt walked through that, how Moses came to see that in God. And so John, that we're in this morning, John chapter 6, this is the purpose of the gospel of John. John was one of the followers of Jesus, and he states in his gospel that I am here to show that Jesus of Nazareth is Christ. He's the Son of God, and that believers in him can have eternal life. And so all throughout the book of John, he's showing that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He does it all the way in the beginning of John 1.1. Instead of starting with the nativity story, he starts all the way in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything exists by him. Everything comes into existence by him and is sustained by him. So in the book of John, he records seven times that Jesus talks about claiming, I am. The same phrase that was the burning bush to Moses, the self-existent, transcendent God. He uses that phrase to describe himself. They're all word pictures the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the gate to the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, I am the resurrection and the life. All pictures to describe how a relationship with him leads to a life that is transformed. Why is it a big deal that Jesus used the phrase, I am? It's a big deal because when Jesus says, I am, He claims to be God. He does this in John 8, 58, claims to be God. Not a helper to God or a great teacher, not just divine, but 
eternal, pre-existent, infinite, perfect being. He is Israel's God. He's greater than Moses because he is the God of Moses. He has life in himself and he gives life to us. And you will see this happens over and over with the Pharisees and different religious leaders in that time that by claiming this, this was a blasphemous statement for a man to make this claim that I am. So today, let's look at the first one of those in John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Look at John 6 verse 25. Let's start there. It says this, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which is the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal and approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to give to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked, what are you going to perform Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. I am the bread of life. I'm a big fan of bread. I don't know how big of a fan of bread you are. I remember the first time I went to San Francisco and had a bread bowl with clam chowder right there on the coast. And the clam chowder was good. And some people go for the clam chowder. I went for the bread bowl. Anything that comes in a bread bowl has got to be good. I'm a big fan of Panera bread. I go there a lot. It's got bread in the name of the restaurant. It's got to be good. And it is good. And I get a bread bowl at Panera. One of the sad things for me, about seven years ago, I decided I needed to lose weight. And that is like one of the first things on the list. They tell you, stop eating bread. Like we have diets that just eliminate bread. And I think that's what the Atkins diet does, right? Just like no bread. I think every diet says no bread. I did that. I think for six months, I lost 25 pounds, which was pretty exciting. And I found all 25 of that, again, in bread. It's back. And all the bread was worth it. (laughs) But bread 
in the time that Jesus lived was a staple. As a matter of fact, I think it was basically the same saying that you had food was to say you had bread. If you ran out of food, it basically meant you ran out of bread. And bread is the backdrop to the I am statement that we are reading today. Because if you look at the beginning of John chapter 6, it is the feeding of the 5,000, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And if you remember this story, there are thousands of people, I think it's 5,000 men, it says, and there was women and children not counted in that. So somewhere around maybe 15,000 people are following Jesus on a hillside, listening to him teach, and now they're hungry. And, over, and five times, I think it talks about either the multitude or the number of people or how much it would take to feed this many people. And all they have is a little boy that brings five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus does a miraculous thing. On that hillside, he takes those five loaves, two fishes, hands them to his disciples, and through his miracle, their faith, as they hand out, it never runs out. And as a matter of fact, at the end, the bread and the fish that they gather up as leftovers is an overwhelming supply of more than they started with. That's the backdrop of the story we are going to read today with the I Am. He had just done this for the people. And so I would like to tie the I Am, the bread, to this statement, I Am provides. The theme today and the takeaway today is I Am provides. And I would like to look at this in four ways in this passage that we see the I am provides. The first one is the I am provides our daily need. And we see this in the beginning of the book of John. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 26, it said this, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. The reason that they were looking for Jesus in this passage is he had just fed all these people and who would not want to go and look and find for someone that can turn five loaves of bread to feed 15,000 people. He provided their daily need. The I am, Jesus, provided miraculously their daily need. But I say the I am provides our need because the Bible over and over describes that God is the provider of all things. Listen to Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Listen to James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down for the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. In Chronicles, it says this, Everything we have comes from you, and we give you only what you gave us first. The amazing story of the feeding of 5,000, this multitude, a half-year wage that it would take to feed this many people. Who could do something like that? 
And I think that's one of the things that John is trying to put out there is who could do something like that? So what two responses could we have to knowing that the I am provides our daily need? I think the first thing I think of is enjoy God's gifts. If everything we have comes from God and all good things come from God, I think he wants us to enjoy them. You like the mountains? Go to the mountains. You like the beach? Enjoy the beach. If you are athletic, enjoy athletics. If you're not an athletic, watch this afternoon on TV, athletics. If you like food, enjoy the gifts of God. A second response, though, would be to enjoy your daily gifts from God properly. I like what Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you enjoy from God, that you should do it all to the glory of God. Don't do it in excess. Don't do it in a way that becomes a rule over you. You are a steward of all these good things for God. Enjoy them, but give him glory while doing it and not to a point where it becomes something that you are a slave to. A third response I would say is this, give thanks to God. Today is the first day of 2023. Today is a great day to start giving thanks to God for your daily bread. I like how people will start on January 1st and they'll start a list of blessings. And every day they'll just write a few blessings from today. I think if you write three, I'm not a math major, but that's almost like a thousand by the end of the year that you would have. Why not today, every day, just start a piece of paper, a Word document, a Google Doc, just write a few blessings from God, the air you breathe, the food you have, the house you have, the family that you have. All of those are a gift from God, and one of the greatest things you can do is to give thanks for them. Number two, God provides our daily need. But in this passage, we're going to find out the I am provides our unknown need. Look at verse 27. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Look down to verse number 33. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Have you ever had something that someone showed you or gave to you or exposed you to in life that you didn't even know you needed? I remember that I was... I think 22 or 23 years old, we had just bought a house, and it was a fixer-upper. I was not a person that did a lot of construction growing up, so I owned a hammer when I got married. That's what I own. And by the way, a hammer can do a lot of things. A lot of, you can fix a lot of things with a hammer. Not fix them permanently, but you know, temporarily. So... Our living room that we had had carpet in it. And we were like, it's yucky carpet. We need to replace it. 
So we were just tearing up a corner of it, and we noticed it was hardwood floors under the carpet. And that was very exciting to us. So we ripped up the carpet, had someone sand, refinished the floor. But when you do that, you have a little gap around the room that you have to put trim. And if you've ever done a project or you've ever had a friend or a spouse do the project, probably one of the most frustrating things is the project is basically done and someone doesn't put the trim on. Have you done that? I've visited friend's house. They've been done with the project for six months and there's like one piece of trim and you're like, one piece, that's all it takes. Well, I know why it takes a while to do that because I only owned a hammer. So I went to Home Depot and I bought a miter box. That is a box that has angles in it that you can cut things. And I bought a little saw and I bought trim and I bought some nails. And for an entire day, I would measure and I would saw and I would put it up and I would hammer and then I would hammer and then I would hammer. And at the end, they have this tool that you tap the nails in so you can put putty in. I thought, I can see why people don't put the trim on. It's a lot of work, a whole day. Well, we redid our kitchen sometime later, and a buddy says, do you want to borrow my tools? And I'm like, well, I already have a hammer, a saw, and that little tap thing. And he's like, well, I have a compressor and a brad nailer you can borrow. And I said, who's Brad? And <laughs> what is he going to do for me? So he brings it over. And he's like, oh, and I brought my miter saw, too. And for an hour, in a room twice the size, we go, put it up. And he's like, next piece. And I was like, what just happened? Where has this been my whole life? I didn't even know that existed. I think that there are a lot of things in life that happened that you didn't even know you had a need for. And we see that here. I remember... I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago, I remember reading a story about a high school baseball player. I think he was just a JV baseball player. And he had finally made the JV baseball team as a pitcher. And it was his first day that he was going to pitch. And some of you have probably heard this story. He was a young man in California. His name was Owen Start. And Owen, this was his first day to pitch for the JV baseball team. He's warming up in foul ground like you're supposed to before he takes the mound. And a foul ball comes and hits him in the head and gives him a concussion and knocks him down on his first day that he was supposed to pitch for JV baseball. They decided that they should not let him take the mound to pitch that day, even though he was back up and seemed like everything was okay. And they thought the right thing was to send him to the hospital to get a CT scan. So they sent him to the hospital to check for any structural damage to his skull. And that's when the doctors discovered he had a brain tumor a tumor he had no idea that he had. And immediately, this sophomore in high school underwent surgery for a tumor. And although it was a very difficult recovery, eventually he was able to join the baseball team again. And after years of uh, therapy following that, 
the Sonora varsity coach, Pat Tellers, told the newspaper, everybody was saying, it's a good thing you got hit by a foul ball. Because that foul ball revealed something that he needed that he did not even know that he needed. Do you remember the reason they were looking for Jesus in verse number 15? It says, therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountains by himself. After he fed the 5,000, who would not want this guy that seemed like to be a prophet that can do these things? This is maybe the one that all the prophets talked about. They wanted to make him king. But Jesus knew they needed something more. They had a problem they didn't even know that they had. And in verse 49 and below, Jesus unpacks this. One of the ways he says it is, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Verse number 50 says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. What was the problem that they had that they didn't know? It was something in their heart. In the Greek, there are two words for the word life that it uses throughout the New Testament. We use the word life in a lot of interchangeable ways. And so they had two words for life that they would use. One of them was bios, and you've probably heard that phrase um, as used in life in the English language. Bios is your physical life. But they had another word for life that they would use, and it was zoe. Zoe meant the quality of life or eternal life. And this is the life that is used in Romans 6.4 when the writer says you are raised to walk in newness of zoe, of life. And Jesus says this, don't look for food that perishes. Look for the food of zoe. In other words, you have a hunger that transcends your physical hunger. You have a thirst that transcends your physical thirst. You have a zoe need. You are trying to fill your zoe need with a bios solution, and it will fail you every time. Now, if you're honest with yourself, if you're spiritually honest or you're emotionally honest or intellectually honest, every one of us, I think, would say, we know there is a problem. I mean, you don't have to live very long or watch TV very long or experience life very long before you know there are problems. And it's not whether we agree that there is a problem, it's whether we agree on what the problem is. And what we typically like to do, and what I typically like to do, is you minimize the problem. Or you look for a solution to the problem that you can control. And so how do we do that? We find our zoe in circumstances or in distractions. And we fill that with pleasure. We fill that with affirmation from people around us. Whatever you are looking for in life to fill that Zoe need, you are feasting on a bread that will never 
fill you. And that's what Jesus wanted them to know. They had a need that could not be fulfilled or supplied with just bios, physical things. So that leads us to the third. So the I am then provides the source. Verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. So verse 30, they say, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Verse number 35, I am the bread of life. In other words, Jesus was saying, you're not here for me. You're here for the benefits you get from me. As a matter of fact, that's why they say, what work? Because when you don't have relationship, all that's left is to do work. See, they were following Jesus for the things that Jesus could give them. They were not following Jesus for the relationship they got in him. And what we call that is impersonal uh, religious activity. So you talk about God, but you don't talk to God. Or you talk about the Bible, but you don't spend time reading the Bible. And what happens is relationship changes everything. And Jesus is saying, I am the source. And what that looks like is relationship with me. For those of you that know me, you will know that I'm a big fan of Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning and I graduated the same year in college, and I was very glad that he came to my Indianapolis Colts to be the quarterback. And it was a lot of fun having Peyton Manning as quarterback. I moved to Colorado, and so Peyton Manning thought, well, if he moved there, I'll move there also. So Peyton followed me the next year to Colorado, and it was fun to watch him. But I'm not different because of Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning in my life has not changed me. I am not different because I know who he is. Relationship changes everything. I'm different because of my family. I have been changed because of the people at Valley Community Church. The people I have relationship is what has made a difference in my life. Relationship with Jesus will change you. And what he wanted them to know is I am the bread. I am the source. And he says, don't miss it. I am the source right here in front of you, the source of life. Have you ever had something right in front of you and you just missed it? I loved Matt's, what he shared a week ago about looking in the cabinet and you're, it's right in front of you and you call out to your spouse in the other room, where is it? And they tell you and it's right there. 
and you're like, I don't see it. So finally they come in, you know, and they grab it right in front of you. I've had many moments like that in life where I've been there and I missed it. Probably the one that burns in my soul still till today is my brother, when he was a senior in high school, I was a uh, eighth grade in middle school. And he was the starting uh, point guard for the basketball team. And they videotaped a lot of the games, VHS. And my dad wanted to watch that game. So he said, would you be the one that videotapes today's game? And this was a big game. This was the Crosstown Rivals game that they have the trophy that you write on every year, who won the game and the score, and you trade it back and forth every year. So this was a big deal. So I'm on the scaffolding, you know, you got the camera, and back then you watched the game through this little black and white thing about this big that you got to see the game. Great game, back and forth, back and forth. It came down to the end of the game, and we fouled the other team, and they're at the free throw line. And so what I did is I put the camera and zoomed out a little bit so you could not only see who was shooting the free throw, but you could also see the clock right behind it so everyone would know the context of the game. Pretty important thing. I don't remember all the details of the free throws, except for I know when the free throws were done, there was only a few seconds left on the clock, and the other team was up two points. But when that free throw came off, they threw the ball to my brother, who took three or four dribbles down the court and threw a heave to the other end, the buzzer sounds while the ball is in the air, and it goes in. And the crowd goes crazy. He won. I mean, there's no seats available. They bring in extra bleachers for this game. There's no seats. It's just chaos. It's super exciting. And I'm jumping up and down, and I look back at the camera, and there it is on the free throw line on this end of the court with the clock and the score. All game long, I was so intentional about back and forth, but when that ball missed on the free throw and they're running the other way, I'm, we still have that VHS today. I was there. I missed it. I had one job. I think that was my dad's exact phrase. You had one job. And I missed it. What a little irony about that game is there was a question of whether the shot got off in time and whether it was actually a three-pointer because the three-pointer was new to basketball back in the 80s. And they wanted to see the film, right? Not like the referees like they do now, but after the game, they requested the film to see if it actually happened. The film, we said, was not available. <laughs> My dad came through for me there. Have you had it right in front of you and you missed it? If you're in this for the benefits of Christianity and not the Christ of Christianity, you're missing it. You will never drink. You will never taste. You will never see. Your schedule might change, but your heart will not he was right in front of them, and so they ask, how do we get this? The I am then provides the solution. Verse number 35 says, I am the bread of life. 
No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. The rest of this chapter is Jesus unpacking the statement, I am the bread of life, and what is the solution to the bread of life? And this is actually the turning point for the crowd. One of the things when I studied this that I was actually fascinated by is this is John chapter 6, and I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But actually, John chapter 6, this is near the end of the second year of Jesus ministering in his three years. That's why there were so many thousands of people that were following him. I mean, they had heard the stories about a party that he went to and he turned water into wine. He had heard about, they had heard about him walking on water. Some of them had seen him walk on water. They had heard about a little girl that got healed. They had heard about a man that went to the pool every day to get healed. And Jesus just spoke and the man was healed. And many of them got to see it face to face. And yet, he just and five or six verses explains, how do you get the bread of life? Come, believe, I am all you need. And it was a turning point for this crowd. Because to have me, Jesus said, and nothing else is to have everything. And the crowd says, well, I don't think we can do that. He says, so turn from whatever else you are looking for for life and come to me. That's the line that Jesus draws. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can do that? You know, what this reminds me of is those inspirational conferences that people will go to for maybe to be an entrepreneur or to invest or to make money. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those. You know, Tony Robbins is one of the big inspirational speakers. You go there, and he says, who wants to have success? And everyone's like, I want to have success. Who wants to have as much money as they need? I want to have as much money as I need. And he goes, you've been working your whole life, and what do you have for it? And they're all like, not much. You know what you need? And they're like, what do we need? You need passive income. And everyone's like, yes, that's what I need. Passive income where I can sit at home and just income comes in. How do we get passive income? And what's Tony Robbins say? How do you get passive income? Buy my book. That's how you get passive income. And one person gets passive income. Tony Robbins gets passive income. So they buy the book, and they're like, this is going to do it. But what's the problem about buying the book is no one gets passive income and rich from buying the book. How do they get passive income? Is if they follow the things, read the book, okay? That's usually my first problem. It's like, man, that's a lot of pages and a lot of words. (laughs) You got to read the book. Then you follow the steps of the book, right? But most people are like, I just want income to come in passively and they read the book and that looks like a lot of work. That was what I came to this thing to not do. My fear is that we'll look at the bread that's in our hands, our job, our money, 
our relationships, our addictions, our dreams. We'll look at that bread and then we'll look at Jesus and we'll say, I'm not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I can give up all of this and put all of it in Jesus. Can I tell you that what Jesus did for you, this is what it looks like. It looks like hungry sinners that get to eat of eternal grace. Jesus' sacrifice for you means that you get to drink cups of mercy, cups of forgiveness, cups of love. And this is what he's offering to the people. And so how do we respond to that? And we see two responses in the passage. Verse number 66 says, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. i got to believe it's a little frustrating sometimes for the disciples. Because Jesus made a lot of controversial statements that if he would have just kept those to himself, he would have had a lot more followers. In this, he's like, eat of me, drink my blood. And they're like, I'm not sure what you're talking about. I don't think we can do that. We're not going to give up all this for that. And his disciples were probably many times in life like, you know, if you would make it just a little more clear and if you would actually drop out some of the controversial stuff, I think more people would follow you. It says most of them left. But there's a second group. Not a group that says, I can't do this. Jesus in verse 67 says to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this message might not be something new for you this morning. Maybe it's just a reminder of what you have always known, and that is, he is enough. Who has authority like him? He calmed the seas of the storm. Who has mercy like him? In John, we learn about the woman of the well that he gave mercy to. Who has courage like him? He stood up to the mobs and to the crowds. Who has faith like him when he said, not my will, but my father's will be done? Who has love like him that he gave everything that he has for you? Who has grace like him who stood on the cross and offered forgiveness to his accusers? Because you can make your job your hobby, your kids, your spouse, your vacation. You can make those your life. But Jesus says they will all come up empty. There is no life of satisfaction outside of Jesus. And they say, where would we go? And I think that is the solution this morning is where would you go? I think I'd like to end this by doing one thing. Take this moment, and I think we all should do this. Just let's all bow our heads, but take your hands and just put them out in front of you and bow your heads. Take your hands, put them out in front of you, and do this. What have you made your bread? 
What have you made your life? Is it a relationship? A relationship that's not in him is a savior, substitute. Take that bread that's in your hands and say, God, I give that to you. You are the one that sustains me. And no matter how good that guy is or how great that girl is and whatever that relationship that I'm putting all of my life in, I give it to you. They are not the bread of the life of life. You are. Maybe that thing in your hand, the bread is a substance. That substance has left you empty, hungry, wanting. Give that to God, whatever you are filling your life, food, alcohol, drugs, prescriptions, give that to God and say, you can have this. I want the better bread. Maybe that in your hands this morning is the approval of people. The opinions of people. Compliments are fleeting. Criticism is crippling that in your hands say, God, I don't need other words. I give that to you. I need your words. I need what God says about me. That's the bread I want. Maybe in your hands that you are offering this morning is anger, bitterness, envy, jealousy. Maybe it's shame. These are all poisonous breads that we eat. Say, God, I give these to you. I give my anger to you. I give my bitterness to you. I give my shame to you. I want a better bread, forgiveness, freedom, release, bread of life. Or maybe as we mentioned in the sermon, it's just empty religious works. Maybe what's in your hands this morning is the things you've been doing for God. What can I do to receive this bread? It's not relationship with God. Jesus wants you to know that he is where the joy is found. He is life. And take this moment, whatever is in your hands that you are tempted to put in the place of the source and the solution. He says the solution is come to me, release those. I have everything you need. Let's pray. God, we see that the great I am is the sustainer and source of everything. And yet, what we struggle is can he be the source and the sustainer of the things that I need? Can the true solution be to give these things that I find security in to you. And you will provide all that I need. It's a temptation of mine to look to relationships, to look from affirmation for friends, to fill it with empty things of the world, to hold on to bitterness, to hold on to jealousy, We give those to you this morning. We want to eat the better bread, the bread that gives life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.